obviously a huge topic that's near and dear in my heart. Um, and as a clinician myself, I hear so many um, issues that come up for couples on everything from intimacy to communication to conflict to so many things. And it's one of the reasons why I'm definitely not shying away this season from, from tough topics that a lot of couples ask about and struggle with. Um, and pornography is definitely one of those topics that comes up a lot for couples, especially in the military community. And so we're going to dive into that topic. So just as a reminder, if you have little ears around you, if you're in the carpool line, whatever, wherever you are, um, maybe save this one for when you have earbuds in or when little ears aren't listening. Um, but um, LifeGiver has always been about having honest conversation about even the toughest topics. Um Two seasons ago, I did an episode on my strategy that I use to help couples going through a fair recovery and betrayal recovery. Um, and I'm asked all the time for uh, tools and resources to help you, especially if you're dealing with anything on the line of betrayal in your home. And that can mean um, pornography, infidelity, financial betrayal. There's all kinds of ways that we can find trust broken in relationships. And although we don't want that to happen, it's definitely um, difficult when it does. And so I am so thankful to have Dana Gresh um, with us today on the Life Giver podcast. I've been going through your book, Dana. Um, you and Bob have been, your husband, Bob, have been very um, honest and forthcoming in your book. And so I just want to say welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Corey. You are so welcome. Um, I have to say, you know, when couples ask me a gazillion questions, as I'm sure you get a gazillion questions on how to navigate betrayal in your relationship, um, there's always the the really like combing with a fine tooth tooth comb through like very difficult questions of how do you heal from something like that? And mm. sometimes it feels like splitting hairs answering the questions of how do you repair trust? How do you um, build back a marriage? Can you build back a marriage? And um, Dana, you have been an author for a while. You've put out many, many books, a lot of them focusing on womanhood. I would I would love to start there if you don't mind. I'd love to like take us back just a little bit sure. further because most of what you've put out prior to this book was on um, women's issues and especially um, topics for young girls. So do you want to share a little bit about your ministry story sure. um, up until now? Yeah, well, um, it all starts with me as a teenager uh, being sexually active, quite honestly, and just the 
ramifications of that in my life, of withdrawing from relationships and friendships and feeling really lonely. Something I didn't know when I made that decision is that the depression rate of sexually active teenage girls is significantly higher than their non Um, sexually engaged peers. And so I was experiencing depression. I didn't know that it was related to my sex. Now we don't see that for sexually active adult women, but our little brains as young, I mean, I was 15 years old. I was a baby. We're not ready for that kind of decision-making and that kind of commitment. And so I really went into a period of shame for about 10 years. And then I was listening to a radio program one day and I heard really two sentences. What is the number one question on a teenage girl's mind when she's talking to her mom about sex? And I'm driving down the highway. Fast forward, I'm 25 years old. I have my baby girl in the backseat of my car. And I hear the number one question on that girl's mind is, mom, did you wait? Mm. And that our kids have an insatiable desire to know if we live out what we have taught them or are teaching them to live out. And I had to pull to the side of the road and allow really 10 years of grief to engulf me and face that question for the baby girl sitting in the backseat of my car. And you know what? The healing that I really wasn't able to do for my own heart all those years, this mama bear rose up and I went home that night. I told my husband, um, he thought he was marrying the driven snow. That that was just because the shame was so great in my life. I didn't feel like I could talk to him about it. And um, I felt the forgiveness of God in the arms of my husband that night in a way that I had never felt it before, though I had confessed my um, sexual sin to God many times. And I, I was really um, transformed that night through forgiveness, through intimacy, through um, transparency. There is so much power and a gift in that. You know, I love the Bible and the Bible says, confess your sins one to another and then you will be healed. And I really believe that confessing our junk to God and God alone is what gives us forgiveness. But man, it is with each other in the looking in the eyes of another person that we begin to experience incredible healing. And out of that grew a whole, a burgeoning ministry called True Girl, where I minister all in 130 countries right now with books that are age appropriate for eight to 12 year old girls. And then 13 to 17 year old girls on topics like beauty, um, body image issues, what it means to be a girl, what it means to be a woman. And I love it. It's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so it's so powerful what you're doing for young women. Um, fast forward because you have come out with a book now called Happily Even After, where you get very vulnerable about your own marriage and um, your husband's struggle with pornography. You know, before we get into like what happened, right, and how this came about. Um, you know, you were sharing about just that intimate experience with your husband and forgiveness and transparency. And I can hear the foreshadowing in that, right? And I think God does this interesting thing in marriage. If you can, um, if you can really stay close to him long enough, I feel like God does this beautiful thing where there's seasons where, um, he teaches one spouse, one thing and prepares them for (laughs) us to take turns and for the next one to go. And I hear that kind of in your story as well. Um, so I guess I just have to ask, um, I don't even know how, which, which order to ask this, because I really want you to share the story of, um, what happened with your husband confessing his struggle with pornography. But that leads to this really big question of how did you decide to 
make this a public conversation and write a whole book on it because that's super vulnerable. So I'm going to let you decide which order you tell those. But I would think it's a very scary thing to be vulnerable with each other, but to be vulnerable with the world is an entirely different thing. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, But the thing is, the story that we've walked through is not very uncommon. It's not unusual. And we would have been greatly helped by a less closeted conversation about the devastating impact of pornography. Um, You don't have to look at uh, far to find that the stats are really terrifying. I mean, even in the, the majority of men, could be classified as sex addicts, not a minority, mm-hmm. a majority, and probably about 30% of women. And that, what am I classifying it as a sex addict? Well, that by that measure, I'm saying that there's a measure of uncontrollability in their use. They're not really, they might want to stop, but they can't stop. That it is impacting their desire to have sex with a partner or a spouse. They're they're, they're devouring that desire and satisfying that desire in other ways. And so they're beginning to not have sex. Um, the New Yorker magazine, uh, several years ago, a, a man said, you know, I'm going to fast from pornography and see what happens. And he suddenly started having sex with his partner again. And he was like, wow, like not using porn, actually my desire for real sex returned. Mm. And in for women, self magazine, both of these secular magazines really good respected magazines found that women who were using pornography weren't having sex with their partners. And so they said, you know, if you want to have sex with a real person, you better push pause on porn. It devours our appetite for sex. And it's one of the most addictive, um, substances out there. And you might say, well, it's not a substance, is it? Well, it is because it creates dopamine in the brain. And dopamine is this feel good chemical that we get anytime we do something that feels good. So eating, working out, um, on the evil side of things, cocaine, heroin, mm-hmm. uh, those things feel good to us. And so we get a hit of dopamine into our brains. And in most cases that hit will, um, will come off of the baseline We'll come back down to the baseline level in maybe 45 minutes to an hour and a half. But when it comes to pornography, that hit lasts five, six hours. Mm. It's very, very powerful. It's a medication. And we are living in a culture of people who are medicated to the point of really losing objectivity. And if you look at the brain of an individual who's on a cycle of regularly using pornography, um, it's a very unhealthy brain. A, a, a functional image scan of a brain should look very smooth. And the brain of a porn addict looks like Swiss cheese. It's pockmarked. It looks very, you could put it next to a heroin addict's brain and they would look comparable. Mm. So we're talking about what began as, I don't know, curiosity, maybe even as a child, then becomes a compulsion, then becomes brain damage, mm-hmm. literally brain damage. And you can't overcome it without clinical understanding. And for Bob and I, we really felt like um, truth from the Bible was an extremely helpful tool for us in overcoming this destructive force that was just pummeling our marriage. So that's why we've chosen to talk about it. We're not alone. Our story's not that unusual. We're not 
it's not that uncommon, how wonderful it would have been when we were in the throes of our healing work to hear that we weren't alone. And so we just want to throw that out there for couples that are struggling and they're in the middle of this. And we're not finished with our journey. Bob were here. He would tell you, I still um, have to fight the battle every day and stay in accountability every day so that I continue to be faithful to my marriage vows. So that's why. Well, and you write in your book that you remember the day that he was transparent with you and shared the struggle with you in an honest way um, and how devastating that was. And and I have to say, um, for those that are listening, the book is so wonderful and it's healthy and it is it walks you through not just the steps towards healing, but um, Danny, you do such a great job of validating. Um, I call it the wounded spouse. The, there's a wounding spouse and a wounded spouse. And so I, um, it's, you just do such a great job of validating the wounded spouse's um, roller coaster of emotions, mm-hmm. um, fear, devastation, grief, um, just all of it. And so I highly suggest everybody, um, if you're looking for a book to help you navigate this journey, you I tell people all the time, speaking of like the brain being damaged and almost Swiss cheese. I always say that sometimes when um, people are wanting to heal from a betrayal, um, if they do it by themselves, they, they make only a certain amount of progress, but they don't realize they're skipping some very important steps and that you can't do it by yourself. You have to have resources and support and you have to have the wisdom of, of, um, other people, clinicians that understand how to help you through this. So you're not skipping large steps. So, um, maybe that would be a good place to start is to just kind of talk through what were some of the big steps that you guys realized you needed support on? Um, and obviously if you want to share a little bit about, um, what that was like for him to be as honest with you, I think that's something everybody scares or they're afraid of is that they're not going to be able to get through that moment, both sides, right? Because yeah. Right. For Bob, I'm for like a, a lot of others who make that decision to be honest, it is kind of putting everything out on the table and it's a very vulnerable moment. Um, but it's also devastating to the wounded spouse. So yeah. maybe would you like to start there and just kind of share um, so that those listening who maybe have been there before uh, might hear the validation of your experience. And then let's yeah. definitely get into like what that healing process was like. Well, before Bob told me, I knew, I knew before I knew, um, I understand now that it was my body reading cues from his body. For example, Bob really wasn't making a lot of eye contact with me. I guess maybe I could have guessed what it was, but I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started doing therapy with my therapist about 18 months before he confessed to me. And, At the same time, I was very unwell. I was experiencing a lot of muscle and joint pain, sleeplessness, brain fog, things like that. I know now that my body was reading the message. And um, when you experience betrayal trauma in a relationship where you should feel safe, maybe it was a parent to a child or a spouse to a spouse, um, the body sends signals that says, hey, are you seeing what's happening here? It's measuring the intimacy, maybe for people that are, their husbands have had an affair, he's missing inexplicably, there there are gaps in information, and your body is 
creating an inflammation response, trying to get your attention, say, Hey, pay attention to this. Something's not right. You need to do something. So I was experiencing that, not knowing what it was. I was going to doctors and they were checking me for, I mean, crazy things like lupus, autoimmune diseases, we couldn't find anything. And that actually was part of my husband coming to a place of repentance because mm-hmm. he was noticing that when he acted out, I was having flare-ups of whatever was happening. And he, he just, he, he thought, I, I thought this was a secret habit that wouldn't hurt you. And I, and God was allowing you to be made sick by it mm-hmm. to tell me how I was hurting us. Mm. And that's what brought him to a place where he couldn't, he couldn't keep it a secret anymore. Um, he had really tried to find his way back to a place of integrity and tried to find his way back to a relationship with God and with me without breaking my heart, but he hadn't been successful. And so we found ourselves sitting in our red leather chairs in our living room. And he told me every little secret that I needed to know to really understand what what we were up against. And it was a devastating day, but it was a day of hope. First of all, how amazing, isn't it, that our bodies protect us in that way? Um, I feel like this year has been a year of, I'm hearing it everywhere and I'm studying it. And we we knew from um, Vander Kolk's The Body yeah. Keeps Score that trauma yeah. or the body holds trauma. One of my other favorite authors, KJ Ramsey, um, has has been speaking out also about just how your body is built as this protective mechanism. And it it's almost like this radar and it lets you know when something is not safe. You can yep. walk into a room or a setting where your body knows before your brain and your heart wants to accept it. And so yep. here you're saying that your body was protecting you from something that was going on in your relationship before your heart and your mind were even ready for it. So I think that that is... Um, un, I mean, how can we not say that there's not a God when <laughs> like there's something that's created that way? And so, yeah. you know, I've, I've read your book and I, um, have listened to some of your interviews on this story and you are, you don't hold back when you say things like he broke my heart. Yeah. Like it's such a strong statement. <laughs> um, and yet it's so true. And one of the questions that I get a lot from people as they enter into this healing process of um, the wounding spouse being more transparent and more honest, and you also cover in your book, like, how do you start repairing that trust? How do you set healthy boundaries? I mean, there's so much that we could cover today, right? But you cover so much of that process um, and the importance of that honesty and transparency. And so... Um, I don't even know how to ask this question because it's, I haven't quite put it into words, but I think one of the questions I get a lot from other people is from the wounded spouse who needs to be transparent. I'm going to use stereotypes here, but, um, with herself to be, to honor herself and her body and what she's going through and the grief that she's going through to be able to say something as truthful as that broke my heart and not just saying it one time, but to acknowledge that this is a process and I might have to say it several times. I guess the question is, what has that been like for you and for Bob too, for you to say that and to return to that moment and to continue to say that? Because I think 
a lot of wounded spouses are afraid to continue to be honest with the truth of what happened to them because they feel like they're heaping shame on their spouse, especially mm-hmm. if the wounding spouse is working on building their trust back and they're doing all the right things. It's very easy for people to kind of sweep things under the rug and not talk about the hurt anymore because everybody's trying really hard. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Well, the the first thing I want to say is this, you know, Jesus, when he walked on this earth says, if you're truly my disciples, you will abide in my word, the words of truth, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth sets us free. Um, when you're living a lie, you will not be free. You will be in bondage. Mm-hmm. And those, those, the, the, the consequences of that bondage are emotional, spiritual, and often, as I've described in my story, physical. Mm-hmm. And I, if you want to stay in that place of bondage, then keep telling yourself lies and keep living a lie. But if you want freedom, you have to start to operate in truth. And truth, though it can be painful at first, is never destructive. It is always, um, sometimes it dismantles things so that it can rebuild. Um, But Bob and I have found that to be very true in our lives. And so it's not scary for us to say that he broke my heart. Um, I, it's the truth. And it was the beginning of experiencing the freedom and the healing of God in our lives. So um, I really encourage you to start to get honest with someone. And there is a fine line. You know, we're telling this story many years after the fact. We're not telling it in real time. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about who my husband is right now. I'm talking about who he was when he needed healing and when he was wounded. Uh, He was my wounder but he was also very unwell and very wounded. Um, There's lots of significant evidence that people who are in an addictive cycle of pornography use have one of five childhood traumas and they're really rough things Um, like the death of a parent or the death of someone close to them, like a sibling or a close friend, Um, childhood sexual abuse. One of them is um, just being in a very legalistic home where there's not relationship, but there's lots of rules. And those little things were wounding to my husband's heart when he was a boy. And those wounds were still festering in his sweet spirit when he became my husband. And we just didn't know the impact they'd have. We both had to go through healing to, to, to really fight this vicious, awful thing. Um, but we have discovered that when you're truthful and honest with each other, and when you go to Jesus and you hear his truth about who you are, you know, one of Bob's favorite verses is in Ephesians 2 10, where it talks about we are God's masterpieces. And Bob really didn't believe that about himself. He thought he was broken, damaged goods. And when he started to understand his value as a piece of God's artwork, that's part of what helped him turn this battle. That truth was an important part, not just what you did truth, but who you are truth. Most of the time, our, our behaviors at the surface of living are anchored to really faulty beliefs in the deepest, darkest places of our spirit. And we had to figure out what those were in Bob's life and in mine 
to begin to walk in a more healthy marriage. I love the way that you changed that to he was he was my wounder, but he was also wounded himself. I think that's yeah. beautiful. I really do. Um, do you want to share maybe um, a little bit about the steps that you guys initially took? I know there's so many baby steps, but maybe from a high level, what were some of the initial steps? I know that you definitely tried out a couple of rehab places for him to go to, and he ultimately had to find one that um, was biblically based and really valued your faith um, being such a crucial part of this process. Um, what were some of the other things that you guys had to put in place to start building things back? Well, community. Um, you know, you you just want to hide. You don't want to tell anybody what you're walking through. Uh, you're both feeling a lot of shame. Him from his sin and from his stupidity. Bob calls it prolonged stupidity. And you from what am I am I a fool for being with them? Am I a fool for staying with them? Like there's just a lot of shame associated with this walk. And um we had to get, we had to, the way we fought that shame was by inviting the right people into the details of our story. Um, we didn't tell everybody, but we had a circle of people that knew every jot and tittle of what had happened and what we were walking through. And that was, had so much power in erasing the shame in our lives. And I can't, uh, express how important it is to be able to talk. I needed women in my life who I could talk to. And I needed two kinds of women. I needed women who already knew me and were already my friends to be able to tell them this is what I'm walking through. So they could look me in the eyes and say, I think you're a strong woman for choosing to stay. I think it's a beautiful thing for you to be a part of his healing. I needed to hear that from those women, but then I needed women who had walked through what I was walking through and knew that path to be able to tell me there's hope. There is, don't do this, do that. And when you get to this place, take a, take a strong, right. You're going to be tempted to go left, but don't do it. It's not the right decision. Like I needed those women in my life too. And you, you have to work to find those people. Bob needed that same kind of thing to erase the shame and to just kind of be guides on our pathway. So you've got to tell someone. Well, and do you feel like that's something that should have always been in place for your marriage? Yeah. And, um, for us, it really has been like, we've walked with a really transparent church community and we love that. But what happens when you spin out like this is all the shame that you used to have. Like for me as a teenage child hiding for 10 years, not telling every, anybody that story, like that cloak just came back to, to cover me. Now it didn't for long because I've learned that lesson and I know what those lies sound like. So I was on the phone with girlfriends within hours of Bob mm -hmm. confessing to me what he'd been battling. Um, I just knew to do that. But many women don't know to do that. They don't know that there's freedom. The enemy wants to tell you, oh, it's, this is going to be absolutely painful. But in fact, it's actually one of the most healing things you can do is bring other people into your story. You know, if somebody's listening, um, and you have the opportunity to maybe speak to um, someone who is actively in pornography and maybe they're wanting to be transparent and open and start this process of healing. 
Um, what did Bob do right? Like I've heard, you know, yes, that he was honest, but maybe share some of the things that he did right um, that you would that you guys encourage other people to do. Yeah. Well, one of the things that he did right was he had been fighting this for a really long time with weekly accountability, but obviously wasn't winning. Mm-hmm. And at one point he got into a 12-step support group that said, um, his, his sponsor said, call me every day. And Bob was like, every day. He's like, yeah, you want to, you want to do this or not mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And so he will tell you that that was a great turning point in going from weekly accountability to daily accountability. Now, I don't know that he has daily accountability now this many years in, but there are seasons where he'll feel like the temptation is, 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 is pricked or awakened. And he'll go back into that daily mode where he is daily calling someone and reaching out for help. So that's one of the things he did really right. Another thing that I love that he did is I I told him, someone taught us to talk to each other in word pictures to try to help each other understand where we were. And I told him, I feel like, um, you drove our car into a tree And we were both bloodied and really wounded. But when the ambulance showed up, they triaged us and you were much more serious than I was. So they put you on a gurney, put you in the ambulance and they drove away and took care of you. And I'm sitting there listening to the ambulance in the distance going, who's going to take care of me? And Bob, Bob did what he calls calling a second ambulance. And he Mm caught, he tells men all the time, you know, we get all the attention because we're the addicts. We're the ones that have messed this up. And there's been too much time has passed where we have not given the attention we need to, to our wives. And he said, I want you to call a second ambulance. And what are some things you can do to do that? Well, you can honestly confess to her what you're doing. Let her have all the details she wants or needs. Mm-hmm. Be wise about that. Be careful about that. Get clinical help in navigating that, but don't hide things anymore. The lying is as painful mm-hmm. as the sexual stuff. So stop lying and then let her establish boundaries that make her feel safe. And whatever those boundaries are, you work with her to make her feel safe. If she needs you to be in a 12-step program three times a week, do that for a while until she starts to feel safe. If she needs you to tell her best friend and sit down, do that. If that's what makes her feel safe. Um, and then the other thing that he really feels like men need to do is, um, uh, just be patient with her process and get her the help she needs for whatever, whatever she needs. Your, he said, he tells men your healing is not done until hers is. And she, you had the advantage of knowing this was going on for a lot longer. So your brain is in process when suddenly, bam, she's at the beginning of process. And so you're thinking, wow, six months, a year, two years later, we're so far beyond this. No, it took you some time to get to the place where you were willing to tell her. And she was blindsided by this. So give her the extra time she needs and be patient with that. So those are some things he does say to men in terms of calling a second ambulance for her heart. I I love that a second ambulance. And I often say that, um, the spouse is like, however long that you've been in that relationship or in that, um, destructive behavior or keeping it a secret, like that's how far your spouse is behind you. 
Yeah. Right. And trying to catch up to healing. So while you might feel this great sense of relief that it's now out there and you can move forward, they're in a state of shock and are six months behind, a year behind, whatever, because you've been processing it for that duration of time that it's been a secret for you. You've right. had time to wrestle with it, think on it, yes. decide whether or not you're going to say something about it, what your belief is about it, um, what the limits of your strength are. Like there's yeah. so many questions that you've gone through and for your spouse, they're just starting. Yeah. So it's a great way to say that. Um, speaking of, you have this great um, place in the book where you talk about fence building and you talk about boundaries and, yeah. and you were just kind of covering some of that, how to build trust back. And that's also something I encourage um, couples to do that there's, I call it like a phase one, like there's this phase where we have to start earning the trust back um, before we can have other conversations and um, and to create that safe place. And you actually say in your book, um, you go through several different things on like deciding on a boundary, um, praying about it, determining, um, determine the consequence. But you say this one part where you talk about enforcing the boundary and you say, you've, you gotta mean it when you say it, my friend, if your husband does not do what you've requested, you need to ask him to move out of your bedroom or whatever the agreed upon consequence may be. If he won't comply, then you need to move out of the bedroom or do something else that keeps the consequence in place. Yeah. I, I hear some people people might be listening to your story or maybe even reading your book and feeling the twinge of pain that their story is not unfolding the way that your story has so far. Yeah. So, um, could you expand a little bit on that section? Well, boundaries are really hard, um, but really essential. And I, my heart was really healed by the strength of providing boundaries. So. Um, I had written a document to Bob and I said, you know, that if, if there's any kind of slip, I want to know within this time frame, And if it's not within that time frame, these are the consequences. If it is within this time frame, these are the consequences. But the standard here is zero tolerance. I have zero tolerance for pornography and lust in our marriage. And I'm going to give you 100% faithfulness. And that's what I want from you. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there were times when I was sleeping in the guest bedroom because he he didn't walk in victory long term all of a sudden it was a slow progression and um there was even one time where I said you know you should probably go knock on our pastor's door and he slept in the pastor's carriage house for mm. a few a few days um I just there weren't any significant um, relapses to the point where I didn't think he wasn't trying, but they were relapses that concerned me to the point where I was like, you know what? No, this isn't going to happen. And you know what? That made me feel really safe. Mm. It made me feel not powerless, but that I was doing something. And I, I think that a lot of times when you're in a, when you really believe that marriage is forever and that's your belief, you can feel like these boundaries don't line up with that belief. But what I was really doing was protecting the marriage. I wasn't allowing him to go deeper into a hard heartedness and a a condition where his brain was more damaged, where he might end up walking away from me, Mm -hmm. even though he believed that marriage was forever too. So it's a protective thing to have boundaries, but you do have to have accountability. I had my therapist work with me because I didn't want to, 
I was not Bob's discipliner. I was Mm -hmm. not his retribution. I had to very calmly say, this is just respecting myself and respecting the boundaries that God's word has for our marriage covenant. And when you aren't willing to stay inside those boundaries, you're doing something very lethal to your soul and to our marriage. And I'm not going to tolerate that. And I like, that's the way I communicated it to him. I communicated it to him with reason, not with anger. And, um, it was really a shift because previously I'd been pretty angry. I mean, I I did throw things at him once (laughs) (laughs) and that was part of my brain trauma, not me, not being myself, but, um, that kind of thing, when you throw anger and anger, when you sin against sin, it doesn't really move you in the right direction, but having strength and saying, no, you can't do this. And this is what I will do if you do. That is a protection for your marriage and a protection for his brain and his heart. Well, and a clarifying question. So even if he was honest and forthcoming that he did relapse, there was still, it sounds like a consequence yeah. to that relapse. Yep. Because I think a nope. lot of people listening would say, well, if he's being honest now, I should like reward that. You know, yeah. and be, and really, they might be afraid of the consequence that they need to deliver. Even though he was doing the right thing by being honest, we still had the relapse. Well, so uh, a relapse for an addict is a really dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And if you if you reward a relapse with um, cheap grace, you one of the problems for Bob. Uh, this is. We, we are Christians. We love Jesus like crazy. Um, we love the church like crazy, but he had to go to 12 steps to get men who were harder on him because the men in the small groups in his church were kind of just like, Oh, it's okay. We all do it. Mm -hmm. And that cheap Mm -hmm. grace only perpetuates the cycle there. You have to feel the pain and the consequence of your addiction because addiction really does give you pleasure. Sin is pleasurable for a season, for a moment, but then he would come off of that high and he hated himself. He was in a terrible battle of self-loathing. He didn't think he had any worth in this world. He never thought the Christian thing didn't work, but he thought he was so broken. It would never work for him. Mm. So, I mean, in, in having boundaries and in having strength, um, with an addict, you are doing something that brings them to a place of wholeness and health. So um, I think many women, because pornography is so prevalent and so common, make the mistake of after five or 10 or 15 or 20 years thinking it won't escalate. It will escalate. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about the dopamine hit for pornography. Um, if you, if what you use is heroin or hard liquor, you need more to get a hit each, you know, you build some, uh, resistance to the high and you, you need more with pornography. You need different. Mm, yeah. So that therefore requires an escalation into something. And so what might start as let's just say playboy style nudies can escalate into more transgressive video pornography. And then that transgresses into chat online chat rooms. And then that progresses into maybe I'll meet someone. And that, I mean, the, the, the spiral is, um, 
My husband says it's guaranteed. Mm. If you think you are above the, the, the progression, you are believing a terrible lie. And so you've got to be firm about this. There's a zero tolerance for it. Thank you for sharing that. And I will always look back on my years of working with substance abuse as such special years because I, I, I walked out of that season going, all of us should be going through this process. Yeah. Like it is like, we're all shortcutting in our minds to something, sugar, yeah. coffee, like, yes. you know, and here pornography and the transformation that I saw in people's lives by like incrementally going through the 12 steps and surrounding with yeah. support and the daily accountability that you talk about. Like, I remember coming out of that season going, this is what the church should be. Yes. That's and what Bob says all the time. This is true. We're church. not even getting close to that level yeah. of vulnerability and being able to be weak, to be um, not a superhero, right? And yeah. so there's something beautiful about, I think, um, the 12 step process and yep. the, that world that they know from step one, they know that they can only do so much and cannot do it without anybody else and that they have their limits. And I wish all of us had to go through that yes. process. I mean, it's almost like a, not a salvation process as you go through the 12 steps, but it is a continuous reminder of like, yeah. where is God in my life? How do yep. I make amends and confess? How do I get used to this humility? I need to walk it through each day and invite yeah. people into that. And I just imagine what that does to a marriage when you invite that into a marriage. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's hard. It's messy. It's ugly. It's long. You throw things. He hurts <laughs> you. You say things you don't mean. You you have to identify old patterns of of fighting and realize that's not a healthy way to fight. And you have to learn how to fight and have conflict in a healthy way. It's, it's really a lot of work, but I have my best friend. I'm married to my best friend and he is a safe place for me now. Um, he is the healer of my heart, not the wounder of my heart. Mm -hmm. He's not the healer because Jesus is that, but God uses him in my life all the time to be a healing agent. And, um, you don't get that without going through a lot of work. And I, I think a lot of marriages who haven't experience some of the devastation we have also haven't experienced some of the intimacy we have because yeah. their addictions are less lethal. They're more socially acceptable workaholism, for example, and they're lacking some of the intimacy that they could have if they slowed down and understood, Oh, I'm not turning to God and the people in my life. I'm supposed to be intimate with for my meaning, I'm turning to this medication, whatever it is. And that's never a, a healthy thing. I think all of us are addicted to something, to some measure of something, approval. Mm -hmm. um, for us, it was this pornography in Bob's life, pornography and lust. And it's an ugly one and it's a fierce battle, but it's one that you can win. Well, and I you know, you use this word redemption. And I think that you just kind of described, 
um, where your marriage is now and, and learning how to be that for each other, learning how to be the safe place for each other, bringing that humility into your conversations more. Um, I know when I work with couples, that's a big question that I, I get is, gee, that would be nice to redeem my marriage, but is that even possible? And I think you just described it, but is there anything that you, I'm sure you get that question all the time. Like, is rede- like what is redemption? And is that yeah. even really possible? And yeah. can your marriage actually be better on yeah. the other side of that? And so anything else that you would want to share about that? I mean, you did a great job just explaining it, but I'm sure that's something that comes up a lot for yeah. people. What does a redeemed marriage actually look like? Well, one thing that Bob and I are in is recovery, but recovery isn't enough. And, um, at, at the beginning of our journey, but we sent Bob to really one of the most world renowned, um, addiction clinics and it was very expensive. And both of us in the middle of it, we were promised that there was a faith-based track that would be applied and it just never was applied. And we were just really concerned. And on one of our conversations with his clinician, I said, what is the recovery rate of people that come through your program? And she didn't know. Mm. (laughs) And I thought, that's really odd. She said she would look it up and get back to me. She never did. So I began to do some research and really the rate of recovery in a lot of these rehab programs is terrifyingly small. We're talking single digits. And over the long haul, even those who experience recovery coming out of a program, uh, you check in with them a year later, they're not remaining in recovery. And so we looked at those, that data and we said, recovery is not what we want. I mean, we want recovery, but it's not sufficient. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we started to look at the word redemption and redemption is, uh, you know, a faith word. It's a word to buy back, to take back. And when your mind has been overtaken by lust and pornography, it must be bought back. And there's only one that really, I believe can do that. And that's Jesus and his death on the cross that he died in place of all our brokenness and all of our shame and all of our sin. And he is our redeemer. And to redeem doesn't just mean to recover it, to recreate, to remodel. It means to make it better than it was before. And that's what our marriage is. It's been made better than it was before. So Bob and I have a strong conviction that um, a recovery process without the language of sin and without the power of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ really isn't a track that we would ever recommend to anyone. Um, I hope that those listening know Jesus. And if you don't, like that's where you start. When you begin to know his redeeming love, it changes everything. And it changes the way you fight this battle. You realize you can't fight it, but he already has, and he's already won it. You just need to receive that from him. And it's a really different journey from then on. Mm. Um, Dana, I know we're about out of time. I just want to say, I know a big question that, um, people listening might have is, is the question of forgiveness and how do you decide how and when to forgive? And and that is in her book. I highly suggest you pick it up where she wrestles through that and helps you wrestle through it. Um, I guess I just have one other question, you know, going back to where we started at the beginning of this conversation and you talked about, and you shared about, 
um, what it was like for you to go to Bob and confess this time of your life um, and receive the intimacy and the safety of him holding you and, um, and basically receiving everything that you were, everything that you were bringing to the table that he loved all of it. And I'm, I'm butchering the way that you described it, but I just have this sense that, um, this was an opportunity or an invitation. This process was an invitation to do the same for Bob. So do you want to just, um, in closing, just kind of share what that was like? Um, did you see that initially as this was an opportunity to do the same for him? Surely there was ups and downs for that, but I mean, how poetic really of God to walk you through what it was like to receive it and then to be face to face with your husband who is in desperate need of it himself. Yeah. Well, for a lot of years, I had a little tiny placard in my bathroom because I love taking bathtubs and it, I would look at it every day when I would soak in the bath and it would say, it says marriage is the union between two great forgivers. Mm-hmm. And that has been true of Bob and Dana Gresh. And um, if if he hadn't been so forgiving of my sin, I think maybe it could have been harder for me to be forgiving of him. But he was so humble and so sweet and such a healer in my life when I confessed my sin to him. How could I not give him that same gift? And so we've been giving that gift back to one another, back and forth to one another. And we continue to because we still fight about dumb things and we still hurt each other. Um, hopefully not in the same big ways by God's grace, but, um, that's why we decided to write happily even after. And Bob joins me on a podcast. It's a limited series podcast where I bring his voice into it so that the husbands can kind of listen and hear what I've been talking to the wives about. And we are getting so many amazing stories of husbands and wives who were like, this is erasing my loneliness, or we had the first real conversation about it, or my husband isn't afraid to be brave and tell me what's going on now. So um, we just hope that the journey we've walked, our goal is to shorten the time that men and women in this crisis have between disclosure and experiencing God's redemption. Because We've walked the hot pavement of life and we can tell you some things that will maybe help you from taking some detours and making some of the mistakes that we did. And hopefully we'll erase some loneliness along the way. It's beautiful to watch. It really is. Um, I truly believe that I think the goal of marriage is to not get to a place where you don't have any problems and you don't have any arguments or conflict, but that we get faster at repairing. Yeah. No, so we can get to a place where conflict doesn't take three days to resolve. Like we were, we learn the process of repairing quickly. And so we shouldn't feel so much shame for having conflict, but we should be getting better at how we, how quickly we return to humility and how quickly we learn to forgive to what, to your point, Dana. And so this has been a beautiful thing to watch. Your book launch has been beautiful to watch. Um, your the book is happily ever even after the podcast is the same name is that correct yeah happily even after um and i highly suggest you guys go to it you can um hear bob um very honestly share his side of things dana thank you so much for um 
like jumping in the deep end, honestly, jumping in the deep end and really um, being a, a conduit of change for so many marriages out there, um, especially um, joining me on this podcast specifically for military couples. Um, I know it's not easy to share the story, but I think that it is something that God gives us the strength to do. And somehow he heals us just a little bit more every time we share the yep. story too. And sure so, does. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. I really thought this was such a powerful and important interview with Dana, and I'm so thankful that she was willing to come on the Life Giver podcast and share it with you. If you are wanting to dive deeper into this topic, uh, pornography, digital sexting, digital relationships, emotional relationships outside the marriage are all considered betrayal um, in marriage. And so if you're struggling with any of those issues that are on that spectrum, just because we haven't crossed a line into infidelity doesn't mean that that's not betrayal that's happening in your relationship. So I would encourage you to pick up Dana's book. It's called Happily Even After. Um, The link for that will be in the show notes, as well as some other um, episodes that deal with betrayal will be in the show notes as well. Um, I encourage you to not only read the book, but also maybe start to have some honest conversations with your spouse, but also internally with yourself to ask, how are you feeling? If this is something that's going on in your marriage, to think about what do you believe about it? There's a lot of people out there that believe that pornography is not a problem and that it can even be healthy. And I hope you have heard in this series um, just how important it is to protect your marriage and protect the intimacy in your marriage, whether that's emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, that all of that is worthy of protection. It's a very vulnerable place for everyone, um, for both spouses. So take care of it, protect it. um, And I hope that this was helpful. If this was an episode that made you think of someone else, please share it with someone that you were thinking about. Um, You never know if somebody is struggling with something in their marriage and they're just afraid to talk about it. And I am super, super glad that Dana was willing um, to not only talk about it, but willing to restore her marriage and then bring hope to other people's lives. You know, I always say that is the um, peak of healing in our relationships. There will be hurt in any relationship, in any marriage, different kinds of hurt. We hope we don't have um, these kinds of large wounds that happen. But when we go through the process of healing, the peak of healing is when we get to the other side of restoring our relationship and and reestablish safety and trust and then find ourselves in a place where we can help someone else. That is when we know we have hit a beautiful place of restoration. And I'm so thankful that Dana and Bob were willing to share their stories so that we could learn from it. Thank you for joining me for this episode and stay tuned to future episodes. We're going to start a new series on the Life Giver podcast. So stay tuned for the next episode coming out in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or leave a review so others can find it as well. Were you thinking of someone else who would benefit from hearing today's episode? You can be a life giver to them by simply sharing it with an encouraging note. If you'd like to connect with me or find out more about my work, you can visit www.coryweathers.com.